Well, praise God. Take your Bibles out if you would. Turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. Our theme verse for the series that I started last week. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 through 26 we'll be reading. Aren't you glad to be a part of the body of Christ? Amen. I said we went to this event and there were people from all different denominations there. And uh, it's good to know that we can come together. And even though we don't agree on every aspect of the doctrines, maybe that we our church teaches, we can put those things aside and focus on one central truth. And that's Jesus Christ. Amen. And it makes us a family. It's what you could see. I know he's back in town from school. Um, because we are a part of the body of Christ. And, and as I go through the message today, I want you to focus on what I'm saying, because I'm going to be talking about some deceptions on uh, false teachings that creep into the church and the church being drawn away into something that is not a part of the body of Christ and what the body of Christ really is, because we are all a part of the body of Christ. Amen. But so are the Baptists right down the road here. And the Methodists up the road here, and the Episcopalians and Presbyterians, and there are many different denominations that are a part of that family and a part of that body. Even though we may differ doctrinally, we are part of the body of Christ. And there are things in the Scripture that point towards that, even in the Old Testament. Because everything in the Old Testament, we've got to understand, a lot of it is literal. It's talking about literal things that literally happen. But some of it has dual meaning because it's talking about something literal, but it also has a spiritual meaning. But we have to be careful when we start taking the spiritual meaning and trying to make it say something that it really doesn't say. One place in the Scripture, in the book of Galatians, it says that this was an allegory, and it tells you that it was an allegory. And I may be touching on that this morning. Another one is an example of the body of Christ is when Abraham sent Eleazar, his servant, to go get Rebekah to bring her back for Isaac, his son, to marry. That is a beautiful picture of the church right there. Because Abraham, being like God the Father, sent Eleazar, a type of the Holy Spirit, to take Rebekah, a type of the church, and bring her back to marry Isaac, his son, which was a type of Jesus Christ. Can you see that allegory? And so when we look at that, we see Abraham, representative of God the Father, Eleazar, the Holy Spirit, and he goes, and it always interests me that he took camels with him. And, and I, I preached a message on this one time called, The Camels Are Coming. And Eleazar, he took ten camels because a part of their Jewish tradition was that the, the women didn't have a dowry like you see in some cultures today. If, if a Jewish man was to marry a Jewish woman, he gave her gifts. How many of you know Jesus gives gifts to the church? Can you see that? See that allegory? And so he, the Jewish man, he would give gifts to the woman. Well, he took nine camels loaded with jewels to Rebekah. Or he didn't know who it was. He said, and in fact, he prayed, God, lead me to the one that is to be the wife of my master. And he said, this is how I'll know that the one that I'm supposed to take back to my, to my servant, or to my master, Isaac. The one that I asked to give me water from the well. And she says, here, I will give you water to drink, and I shall also water your camels. And, so, and I'm on a rabbit path here. I didn't mean to get into all this, but let me chase this rabbit till it comes back around. Is that okay? And so... She, he goes down and he, he walks up and here's this woman there, Rebecca, which happened to be Isaac's cousin, by the way. And he says, can I have some water to drink? She said, sure, here, give you some water. And while you're drinking, I'll give water to your camels. Now, there's ten of them. They can drink 26 gallons apiece. That's 260 gallons of water dipped out of a well with a big heavy crock full of water. You know how heavy that thing is? 260 gallons of water. I'm thinking to myself, well, was she petite and beautiful? She had to be like Rebecca the Sorksenegger or something, you know. I mean, (laughs) my Lord. But what is the picture there? This is the type of the church. Well, then who would the camels be? That's the people we're called to serve. Now, I'm not suggesting that the people in the church are like this. This is the people we're called to, called to serve. And camels, they're just, they're, just, they're just nasty. They stink and they're dirty and they're rebellious. Jeremiah said that the children of Israel was like a wild camel on a rampage. 
And sometimes they, they burp out loud and they spit on you and they're just cantankerous critters. And this is who we're called to serve. And sometimes they're outside the church and sometimes they're inside the church. Amen. Come on, somebody. They're saying, did he just say I, was, I stink and I'm dirty? And I... <laughs> Well, sometimes. Uh, amen. Come on now. Let's get right. Amen. So before I get into word, just look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. neighbor. It's a pleasure to serve you. You remember that old song, Ahab to Arab, the sheik of the burning sand, and all every night about midnight he'd get out on his camel named Clyde and ride and Clyde say, Oh. <laughs> remember that song? It's a, yeah. Yeah, look at your neighbor and say, Hey, Clyde. <laughs> well, enough of that nonsense. You got your Bible turned to Chapter 2 of Second Timothy. <clears throat> Verse 15 says, Be diligent <clears throat> to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babbling, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenius <clears throat> and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Hallelujah. And it's always going to stand. Amen. Amen. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of clay, some of honor and some of dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanse himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, and prepared for every good work. Uh, Flee also... Youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, without, um, where am I? For, uh, with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputings, knowing that they gender strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those. Who are in opposition. Let me say that again. In humility. Correcting those. Who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance. So that they may know the truth. And that they may come to their senses. And escape the snare of the devil. And having been taken captive by him. To do his will. My goodness. That's a scary thing. To be taken captive. Of Satan to do his will. That's a frightening thing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that it is yes and amen. God, you sent your word to sanctify them, you said. You said, sanctify them by thy truth and thy word is truth. God, it is what sets us apart as a people to be recognized as your people in this earth. So, Lord, I pray that today, as we break open the bread of life, Lord, that you take this word, God, and set us apart. Sanctify us through your truth, for your word is truth. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Also, in 1 Timothy 4, it said that the Spirit speaks expressly that in the last days some shall depart from the faith and give heed to seducing spirits. And what we're going to see this morning is that happens sometimes even in the body of Christ with people you would have never dreamed would be drawn into deception. There was an old song one time that used to say, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. The things on earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I thought about that song this week and I thought, you know, not only should we turn our eyes upon Jesus, church, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because when we take our eyes off of Jesus and start looking around, there are the Satan is standing waiting to deceive you. Just waiting for you to take your eyes off of Jesus Christ. 
and start looking around for something else. And so we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Now this morning, I want to read you some quotes by some famous men. And as I read these, I want you to tell me whether these are true statements or false statements. This is a prominent, world-known religious leader said, All, quote, all that live a just life will be saved, even if they do not believe in Jesus Christ and the church. The gospel teaches that those who live by the Beatitudes, for example, the poor in spirit, poor in heart, etc., those that bear the suffering of life will enter the kingdom of God. This same leader, that's false. Amen. This same leader also quote, was quoted as saying, All Jews, all Muslims, all Hindus, and all Buddhists are all in heaven. And we will be with them in heaven. Those quotes were made by Pope John Paul, the head of the Catholic Church. One of the leading supporters of the ecumenical I always have trouble with that word. The ecumenical movement. Now, the word ecumenical, it actually is not a, it's not a bad word. Ecumenical just means the unity of a group. Religious ecumenicalism is, in, in its proper context, is just what I was talking about this morning. It's when the Baptists can come together and the Assemblies of God and the Presbyterians and those who are really a part of the body of Christ because they have believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, has accepted Him in their heart, repented, and been washed with His blood, which makes us a part of the body of Christ. Amen? We all come together. That is a part of ecumenicalism. But the term that we have adopted as the ecumenical movement is not talking about the, the, the Christian church coming together as one. Because Jesus said, Father, I would that these would be one, even as you and I are one. So it's in God's plan and His will for... And I preached a sermon a series on that one time called The Fractured Church. You know why? <laughs> the most segregated day of the week is on Sunday morning. In many ways, culturally... Doctrinally, racially, you know, we're all a part of the body of Christ. What's up with that? You know? But the, the term that we have given to, or adopted as the ecumenical movement is the one world religion. It's not talking about the body of Christ. It's talking about all religions, that we're all the same. It's the, you've heard this, that all paths lead to, to God. Well, let me look this way and let me tell you something. Did you know that's true? All paths do lead to God. But there's only one way to enter into His kingdom. That's through Jesus Christ. The Bible says it's appointed unto every man to die, and after death, the judgment. Yeah, it's, you're, going to be, you're going to be led before God, all right. It's just a matter of where you're going to go after that. That is the real issue. Amen? <clears throat> now, for the Catholic Pope and the head of the Catholic Church to say that, to me personally, was not a real surprise because... I know that they have embraced that kind of concept for quite a long time. But what about this other religious leader? I want you to listen to this conversation. This was an interview on Christian television. The interviewer says, asks this man, he says, what is the future of Christianity? The man he's interviewing said, well, Christianity and being a true believer, you know, I think there's the body of Christ, which comes from all the groups around the world, outside the Christian groups. I think everybody that loves Christ or knows Christ, whether they are conscious of it or not, they are members of the body of Christ. I think James answered that, the Apostle James, in the first council in Jerusalem when he said that God's purpose for the age is to call out a people for his name. And that is what God is doing today. He's calling people out of the world for His name. Whether they come from the Muslim world, or the Buddhist world, or the Christian world, or the non-believing world, they are members of the body of Christ. Because they've been called by God. They may not even know the name of Jesus. But they know in their heart that they need something that they don't have. 
and they turn to the only light that they have, I think that they are saved and that they are going to be with us in heaven. At that point, the interviewer said, what, what I hear you saying, that it's possible for Jesus Christ to come into the hearts, and to come into human hearts and souls and life, even if they've been born in darkness and have never had exposure to the Bible. Is that a correct interpretation of what you were saying? Question mark. The man he's interviewing said, yes, it is, because I believe that. I've met people in various parts of the world <clears throat> in tribal situations that have never seen a Bible or heard about a Bible and never heard of Jesus. But they, they believed in their heart that there was a God and they've turned to their lives. They've tried to live their lives that was quite apart from the surrounding community in which they lived. The interviewer said, I'm so thrilled to hear you say this. There's a wideness. You ever heard that term? There's a wideness in God's mercy. The man he's interviewing said, there is, there definitely is. And the interview went on. I didn't, I had to go fact check this because when I first heard this, I didn't want to believe it. So I went and fact checked it. I saw the man's face. I saw his mouth mood. I heard the words and he said, verbatim what I just read to you. And let me say that it grieved my heart beyond words. Because this man was a hero of mine as a child. The conversation was between Robert Schuler of the Crystal Cathedral and the man he was interviewing was Dr. Billy Graham. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Because I remember as a child, he was my hero, man. He was the hero of the Christian church. I remember going to his crusade. I remember coming home and telling mom and dad I wanted to sing like George Beverly Shea. That was his song leader. And to hear him say that, I, I look at it in disbelief of how could such a great hero of the gospel arrive at such a conclusion. The body of Christ comes from all the groups around the world outside of the Christian groups. God is calling people from the Muslim world, Buddhists and Christians, and even the unbelieving world. They are all members of the body of Christ because they've been called by God, even if they don't know the name of Jesus. They're saved and they're going to be with us in heaven. Let me look and see what God says about that. You want to see that? Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. John fourteen six. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 says, That at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of things in heaven, of things in the earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. It says they may not even know the name of Jesus, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, For if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with a heart man believes unto righteousness, with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 14, it says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Now look this way and listen. <clears throat> if Robert Schuller and Dr. Graham are right, then Jesus died in vain. There was no need for him to go to the cross. If all avenues lead to God, then why not just continue to worship Molech or Baal? Or Ashtaroth. Or all of the pagan gods that God condemned in the Old Testament. In fact, he said, if you find their altars to tear it down. He condemned and damned the nation of Israel for following after those pagan gods. At what point did it become okay? And a new avenue to God. 
So if that's the case, then Jesus, the whole Bible is just obsolete. Jesus died in vain. There was no need for missions, mission work or to go into the mission field. Dr. Grant's position is not the gospel. It's the philosophy of men. It's a part of the ecumenical movement. You probably heard the term of universal salvation, which has been a popular doctrine that has come up among some ranks just in the recent, in the last couple of decades. It's a part of what we call pluralism. Everybody say pluralism. Pluralism. Pluralism is the acceptance of all religious paths as equally valid and promoting coexistence. So what Billy Graham and Robert Shuler and Carlton Pearson and others are actually following is the teachings of a man by the name of Max Warren. Are you still with me? Say amen. amen. <clears throat> are you learning anything? Max Warren was a general secretary of the Anglican Church, and he was over the mission society of the Anglican Church in Great Britain. And in the 1960s, he attempted to redefine missions by focusing on pluralism. They're trying to make it all inclusive. You know why? It was popular. Politically correct. We as Christians are said that we're intolerant. Well, I'm only intolerant about the things that God is intolerant about. There's some things God doesn't tolerate. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't tolerate it, and neither should we. Yeah. <clears throat> if that makes me mean, I don't mean to be mean or ugly. I, the Lord knows I love these people. And what did he say? In humility, in humility, correct them. We don't go out with a stick to beat people. You, you love these people. My heart grieves for Dr. Graham and others who <clears throat> have been drawn into this. Um, Max Warren writes this. When we approach the man of faith other than our own, it must be in the spirit of expectancy to find how God has been speaking to him and what new understanding of the grace and love of God may be ourselves discovered in this encounter. Look this way and listen. There are no experience, new experiences of God's grace other than what he put right here. This is the only experience of God's grace to man. There isn't any new experience that you're going to learn from a Muslim or a Hindu or anyone else. This is the message of the grace of God. The only message of his, of his grace. It says, our first task in approaching other people, other cultures, and other religions is to take our shoes from off of our feet, for the place we are approaching is holy. Brother Laden, when you was in India and you came up to a Hindu temple, did you ever think about taking your shoes off of your feet to enter in because it's a holy place? That's what he's saying. For the place we are approaching is holy, else we find ourselves treading on men's dreams. More seriously still, we may forget that God was here before our arrival. Now, the fact is God was there before our arrival is true. But He wasn't there to reveal some kind of truth to them other than the truth that we have. The Bible says, sanctify them by thy truth, thy word is truth, and it's the only thing that sanctifies us and sets us apart. <clears throat> I just wonder what Paul would have said about that. Because if this is true, then all of his missionary journeys were... were, were uh, he, he did it wrong. <laughs> when he went to Ephesus and they're praising God, the goddess Diana, he's supposed to come and say, okay, well, teach me about Diana so I can learn something about God. The whole missionary journeys of Paul, all three of them, he went to tell them the truth about the God of heaven. And to show them that the God that they were serving was a false God. Now folks, I'm not here attacking Billy Graham, and I don't want it to come across that way. I love that man. He is, he's been a hero of mine for many, many years. But <clears throat> the truth is the truth, and a lie is a lie, folks. And it doesn't matter who tells it. I'm here to sound an alarm. Because the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, to be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. 
For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, or somebody that does not believe? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Are you hearing this, church? I'm supposed to go into the Hindu temple and accept all their gods as a part of God's plan? He says, no. What part does the temple of God have to do with, with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God Almighty. Folks, we are not co-equal with Hindu gods. We are not co-equal with the little fat man that sits there named Buddha. We're not co-equal with Allah and the Muslim God. I think about that old song that says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not claim the sweetest thing, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, because on the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. It's all sinking sand. Folks, we don't just need to cast our eyes on Jesus. We must keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. Amen? Somebody say amen up in here this morning. So my heart is heavy for those that are being seduced by demonic spirits. He said, in the last days they shall give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. In the last days. Who would have ever dreamed that a great hero of the faith would say such a thing, that you can be a part of the body of Christ and not even know the name of Jesus? I would have never in a million years dreamed I would hear those words come out of his mouth. And it grieves me. God, let's just stop right now. Father, I lift up Dr. Graham and those, Lord. God, have mercy on them, Lord. Draw them back to you, God. Father, I know his ministry is worth $300 million, but God... Would we sell our soul? You, you said, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? I don't know what drew him away, but God, I pray that you draw him back. In Jesus' name, amen. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. Look this way and listen. You can't turn from something that you've never faced. This is not talking about the world turning from the truth. This is talking about people who have faced the truth and know the truth. And the time will come that they will stop enduring sound doctrine and they will turn their ears from the truth and be turned unto fables. Can you see that, church? God is talking about Christians in this. Now, there's a great danger in this type of thing because Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9 says this. He says, I marvel... That you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And I said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Now I think as the church today, we we understand we are not co-equal with Hindu gods. We're not, uh, I hope you understand that, right? right. (laughs) Christianity is not co-equal with Hindu gods, neither is it co-equal with Buddha. Neither is it co-equal with Muslim beliefs, the moon god, Allah. See, these are the, there's five major categories of religion in the world. Hinduism, 
Buddhism, Muslims, Christianity, and the Jewish faith. Now let's talk about this one. Because see, what Satan will do is he will take something that sounds right. It looks right. If somebody come in here and set up a monkey god in our church and says this is equal to God, that doesn't sound right, nor neither does it look right. Amen? Amen. So it's not even close to the truth. So we'd be like, nah, forget that. Or Buddha. Or Allah. But what about Jewish beliefs? Because you see, this is an area where we can be drawn away and we can be taught something that looks right and it sounds right. Because it is so close to what we believe. Why? Because our roots are tied to Jewish roots. That's where, we, that's where the church came from. Had it not been for the Jewish people and the calling out of Abraham and their faithfulness and the covenant being given to them, the church wouldn't be here. That's how the church got here. So, is there deception that can creep in through that open door? And I say, yes, there are. You see, there are actually two major positions in the Christian church or the Christian community, theologically speaking. And we're going to get theological this morning. Are you ready? Did you, did you know if you study the Bible, you are a theologian? How many theologians are in the house? You read your Bible? Then you're a theologian. One main schools of thought of theology is called covenant theology. And covenant theology stands in opposition to what we call dispensational theology. And these are kind of the two major categories of theology. Now, I'm just going to kind of generalize them this morning, and I'm, I'm going to uh, move through this pretty quick, because I don't want to keep you too late. But this is the area that I think we need to be most concerned with. I'm not really concerned about you going out worshiping Hindu gods, or Buddha, or, or Allah. But this area right here, I, I, I want to just show you some things and just caution you. Covenant theology... The covenant theologians see what God has done, what He is doing, and what He will do in the future as all a part of one big covenant. It is all continuous and it's all connected. There's continuity in it. In other words, the Old Testament and the New Testament are all part of one covenant. Because the word testament basically just means covenant. There was an old covenant and then there was a new covenant. But it's all a part of one major covenant. And so they're intertwined. Therefore, all of the symbolism, like I use example for Abraham and Isaac and, and Eleazar and Rebecca and that, all of that symbolism and all prophecies then have to be spiritualized so that it ties into the New Testament, makes it relative to the church. So their theology, the covenant theology, spiritualizes the Old Testament so that it will fit the New Testament. In other words, they don't take it literally. And they don't separate the two. It's all spiritual. In other words, there is no literal Israelite, Israelite nation. There is no literal pre-trib rapture of the church. There's no literal tribulation, no literal return of Christ, no literal millennial. All of that is spiritual symbolism. The problem with that is what I talked about last week. We get teachings like replacement theology that says the church is really the real Israel. And that really the, it, that little nation over there that is 70 miles wide and 120 miles long and the eyes of the whole world is on it has nothing to do with what God is doing today. Because that's not the real Israelites. We are the British and the American people. You see, all of that comes from the spiritualization of the Bible to try to make it say something that fits their theology. Can you already tell I have a little bit of a problem with that? Anybody else in here have a little bit of a problem with that? I mean, <laughs> come on. Come on. If you just look, watch the news. The eyes of the world is on a place no bigger than the state of New Jersey. The Bible prophesied all these things. How could you say it's insignificant to what God is doing? And that's what they say. One of their leading speakers, they asked him, what is the meaning of the Jewish people returning back to the Holy Land? He says, it has absolutely no meaning whatsoever. <laughs> what? Really? 
My word, are you serious? But more importantly than replacement theology, which I covered last week in the sermon, I'm concerned with the pharisaical Judaizers. You say, what? Pharisaical Judaizers. If you remember when Jesus came on the scene, the only people he had any problem with was the Pharisees. He didn't rebuke the sinners, but he was constantly rebuking the Pharisees. Because they kept insisting upon things that Jesus had come to abolish. He said, I didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. In other words, when he fulfilled it, and we read all through the epistles, it was abolished in Jesus Christ. The old covenant was set in place up until the time that Christ came, and he fulfilled it, and he said, a new commandment I give you. Which is not new, but it is this. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. In this are all the commandments fulfilled. Because if you love God and you love your neighbor, you're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to steal from him. You're not going to lie to him. You're going to honor him. You're not going to covet him. It's all fulfilled in that. Jesus came to bring this new covenant. And so, the whole time that the Apostle Paul was traveling... Doing the missionary journeys, these people followed him around. Now, they understood that Jesus was the Messiah, many of them. So they were a part of the body of Christ. They believed in Jesus Christ. But what they were doing was insisting that the Gentiles who were now brought into the body of Christ had to be circumcised. They had to observe all the Mosaic laws. They had to observe Sabbath. They had to observe the dietary laws. They had to observe the feast. And they had to observe all the holy days. Folks, there are 613 laws under the laws of Moses. And much of that teaching that permeated the first church and that followed the only ones that persecuted Paul was this group of people. They followed him from town to town, insisting that, yes, Jesus is the Messiah, but if you Gentiles are going to come into the kingdom, you've got to keep the laws of Moses. You have to, or you're not a part of the body of Christ. In every epistle, he addressed that heresy. And that's what he called it, heresy. And in fact, he said, when he wrote, I think it was Titus, he said, once you have confronted a heretic once, and you've confronted him twice, if he doesn't change, you throw him out of the church. Try that in the modern day church. They'll be throwing the pastor out. You threw somebody out of the church. So he called it a heresy. In fact, he called it doctrines of devils. And when he's writing to Timothy, he's writing about that very subject. He said, in the last days they shall not endure sound doctrine. He said they will follow... Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And he goes on talking about that and says they will teach things like abstaining from marriage and eating meats. Well, why did he mention eating meats? Because they teach that you have to keep the dietary laws. You can't eat a pig. And he said, to teach you eating meats, which the Lord has blessed and says that you can receive it. Jesus himself said, don't you? Are you without understanding? Don't you know that nothing from outside the body entering the body defileth the man? Because it enters the mouth and it goes out the drought. It's evil thoughts, thoughts of murder and adultery and all these things. They defile the man. He says, it's not the things that you eat. And he's speaking again to that dietary law. He goes on, in fact, to the whole book of Galatians. He wrote that whole book addressing that group of people and that subject. If you really want to understand the difference between covenant theology and the error of covenant theology and how it applies in the church today, study the book of Galatians. Don't read parts of it. Read it from front. There's six chapters. Read all of them straight through. And you will see that he talks about the fact that we are born of the free woman, not of the bond woman. And he said, this, this is where he said this was an allegory. He said, don't you understand that Abraham took a bond woman, Hagar, and had Ishmael, which was Sinai. It was the law of Moses. But we are not of the bond woman. We are of the promise. In other words, Sarah. We are the son of Isaac. We are of the free woman. And he told him to cast 
out the bondwoman and her child. And what he was saying is when Jesus Christ came, he cast out the law. He abolished it. We are no longer under Old Testament covenant law. We are under the dispensation of grace. So I don't have to... Uh, brother, I can sit down and eat the biggest, fattest pork chop. If I, in the, I love ham. And it is not a sin for me to eat it. Now Paul said, all things are lawful to me, but all things are not expedient. In other words, it's not necessarily good for you. Pork's not good for you. But I love it dearly. And God said, if I bless it, I can eat it. And I'm going to. I believe he's going to have pork chops at the marriage supper. I do. Bless God. Praise God. And pass me the pork chops. If you don't believe that, you can believe what you want to. But that's all right. You can be wrong. If you want to. That's what he's talking about. He said, all things are lawful to me, but all things are not expedient. And when he said to Timothy, he said, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and it is profitable. Now, I said last week that it's not applicable. And some people looked at me sort of funny and said, what do you mean all the word applies to us? Literally speaking, that does not apply to me. It applied to them. You see, if we're going to keep, and he talks about this, Paul talks about it. If you're going to keep the law, you've got to keep all of it. And he goes on to say, do you not understand that no one was justified by the law? Why are you trying to put, when they, when they went, Paul, Paul, I was going to read some, but I'll just tell you. When Paul and Barnabas was going through preaching to the Gentile churches, these groups were following them, saying, you've got to be circumcised, you've got to follow these laws. And Paul's like, I don't know. So he goes back to the council of Jerusalem. All right, that was Peter, and, and these were the, key figures of the church. In fact, they were the, like the general superintendent and the assistant superintendent and the secretary and the treasurer and that, okay, in Jerusalem. And he goes back and says, they're saying this and they're saying that. What, what are we going to tell them? What, what's, the, what's the law on this? What is the ruling? And Peter gets up and says, you remember some while ago, God, by His grace, took me into the house of the Gentiles, being Cornelius, an Italian Roman soldier. And he says, God gave them the same gift that He gave us. And then, and then when he sits down, uh, Peter talked, uh, Paul and Barnabas talked a little bit more about what God had been doing throughout the region. And after that, James stood up, who was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, said, this is my verdict. And he lays out what they were to do. They were not eat things strangled. They were not to eat, uh, take the blood of animals. And that they were to be kind to the poor. And that was it. Now, folks, there were 16, there were 613 laws in the New Testament. And by the Jewish law, if we were, as Christians, had to observe the Jewish law, everybody in here is a sinner. How many of you got clothes on that has two different types of material in it? Raise your hand. Sinner. According to that, covenant theologians, you're, you're, you're in sin. You know, if your son rebels... You take him to the city gate and you call the elders of the church and you stone him to death. We'd have a bunch of dead kids laying around here. We're going to keep that law. And there's all kinds of laws that govern every aspect. And if you, he said if you break one, you break them all. You have to keep them all. He said nobody could do that. We are not justified by the law. We're justified by grace. In fact, he said that when the promise was given to Abraham... It was 430 years before they even gave the law. And it was given because of transgression. And it was temporary in nature until the Messiah came. And when He came, He abolished the law. Because we no longer needed the law. Now we have the one that does justify us. Jesus Christ. And that's why I say we must not just... Cast our eyes upon Jesus. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. Because when you take it off of that and look at something, well, that looks right. It sounds right. That's not Jesus. That's the law. That is what they were under bondage under. That's the bondwoman. That's Hagar. Let me read it, so unless, and I'm going to close with this. Are you still with me? Amen. 
Acts chapter 15, it says, A certain man which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other men should go to Jerusalem and to the apostles and elders uh, about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it is needful for the circumcision to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. These are called Pharisaical Judaizers. Verse 6, And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter arose and said unto them, Men and brethren, You know how a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Verse 8, And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost even as he did unto us. And he put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Purifying their hearts by what? Not the law. By faith. All right. Verse 10. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had had their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken to me. Simeon had declared how God at the first had visited the Gentiles, taking out of them a people for his name. Now remember what Billy Graham said? That God is at the council of Jerusalem. This is what he's talking about. That James stood up and said, God is taking out a people for his name. And he's implying that that's referring to the Muslim and the Hindus and the Buddhists. He's talking about God is going to take people out of the Gentile world through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the name of Jesus Christ, to make a people for himself. Is that clear to everybody? Amen? I certainly hope so. And to this agree the words of the prophets that is written. After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof and will set it up. That the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all Gentiles among whom my name is called, saith the Lord. Verse 19. Wherefore, my sentence is that thou trouble not them which are among the Gentiles or turn to God. But that we write unto them that they abstain from the pollution of idols, from fornication, and from things strangling from blood. For Moses of old times hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogue every Sabbath day. In other words, he's saying, if you want to follow the Jewish faith, there's plenty of people out there that's teaching the Jewish faith. Go there. But that's not what we're teaching, he's saying. <clears throat> then... Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their company to Antioch with Barnabas and Paul, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabas, and Silas, chief among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting. Then he repeated all of what they had just said about strangling animals and so forth. Verse 28, it said, And it seemed good to the Holy Ghost. And to us to lay up on them no greater burden than is nece- these necessary things, that they abstain from meats and idols and blood and things strangles and from fornication, which if you keep yourselves, you shall do well, fare you well. Can you see the error that could sleep under our church very easily? There's been a rise in this teaching. In recent decades, it's resurfaced. It's just rewrapped, put in a new package. It's real fancy now. It's on the Internet. It looks really cool. I mean, it looks really cool. Cutting edge, sharp, and it sounds so good. It's so interesting. And I had a conversation with a young lady in our church about this subject because she was asking me about it. And I said to her what I will say to you. All of our Jewish roots 
that are in the Bible are interesting roots. I just went back myself and looked at the, the seven feasts because they're prophetic. Four, there's four out of the seven have already been fulfilled. Feast of Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruit, uh, uh, the Feast of Pentecost. There's three left to be fulfilled. The Feast of Trumpet, the Feast of Tome, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus, all of those were pointing towards Jesus. All right. So these things, they have symbolism and they have meaning and they're very interesting. And they're very useful tools to teach us about how we got here. And it actually verifies many things that is prophesied. And we see those things and we see how they came to pass and we realize he was the Passover. That wasn't just a feast. That was a prophetic image of Jesus Christ. He was the unleavened bread. There was no sin in him. That was a prophetic image of Jesus Christ. You know? He was the first fruit when he rose from the dead. He fulfilled that. Wow, that's cool. He is our Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, he came. And in, in, in the, the, boy, I can't go get into all that. In one feast, they would, this is how they would worship God. They would raise the grain. This is the feast, the feast of first fruit. Because it was the beginning of the harvest and they would worship God. And, and that has prophetic meaning and it's all being fulfilled. At the Feast of Pentecost, they would raise, raise up a baked bread that had barley and wheat in it, which meant the Gentiles and the Jews are all come together in the church. Because the church was birthed at Pentecost. Can you see how that's fulfilled? And so those things are very interesting. And if we use them as tools to teach about Jesus, they're fine. They're good. They're useful. I encourage you to look into those things, dig into those things, and use them. But at any point, somebody insinuates or implies or says emphatically that you have to follow these things, that you have to keep Sabbath, you have to observe the dietary laws, beware. It is a doctrine of devils. Are you hearing me, church? Don't think you cannot be deceived. Brother, if Dr. Graham can be deceived, that great hero of the gospel, who do we think we are? That we could not be deceived. Amen? 